If you have Bibles, I think we'll start in the Bible. I feel safe there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. Actually, we're going to read two passages from the Bible to kick off with this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're starting to read at verse 12. Now, what we need to understand about this passage is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is writing, is entering into a debate with the Christians in Corinth about things that are being said. And helpfully, this is now up on the screen. One of the things that they are saying with the freedom that they have as Christians is, everything's permissible for me. And that's a sort of local proverb. I can do whatever I like. I'm free in Christ. And Paul actually wants to have a little bit of a debate with that and say, oh, well, yeah, but hang on. Uh, It's not quite that simple. And it is true that we have freedom in Christ as Christians, but there are certain things that we need to think about as well. So that's what we're launching into right here. The Christians in Corinth might be saying, well, everything is permissible, yes, Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, yes, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, if this is out of control, or I'm not free, or I'm addicted in some way, uh, then everything is not all right. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. In other words, the physical being isn't the only being that counts. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This is about as clear as you can get. By his power... God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know... (laughs) Let me just step in there. He's not just talking about prostitution here. He's basically trying to express an extreme possibility, but this will also be brought back into other possibilities of sexual immorality. So you might think, well, this doesn't apply to us. I've never been to a prostitute. I'm not likely to go to a prostitute. If we're not careful, we can try and evade what's being said in this passage. No, no, verse 16. Don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? 
You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now please turn to John chapter 8. Starting to read at verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We don't know where the bloke was, by the way. This was really unfair. But anyway, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we're in a short series, as Steve said, of what the Bible says about sex or sexual relationships. I prefer the phrase sexual relationships. And the reason I don't like talking about sex is I think the very idea of talking about sex demeans what it's all about. Because... Because sex is a relational word and it's all about sexual relationships. And I don't want to demean in what I say this relational aspect of sex. Sex is not a thing, but the most beautiful pinnacle of a joyous relationship between one man and one woman. I am one of those who is very grateful indeed that there is a love poem Uh, in the Bible, the Song of Songs, and it's about a woman who is so overwhelmed with her lover that she's going to marry him. Uh, This is wonderful stuff. It's about love and friendship and marriage as God's delightful plan as the culmination of love and and fellowship. And the culmination of all of that Uh, is that we gladly abandon ourselves to one another in sexual union. So 
this is wonderful stuff. It's right there in the Bible, and it's presented in a very good way. And sometimes the problem is that the church has presented you know, sexual stuff in a very bad way, uh, but actually the Bible presents it in a very good way. And we need to uh, stay clear about that. Um, interestingly enough, as you probably all know, the Bible uses the word no uh, for the sexual relationship. So Adam knew his wife Eve, it says right at the beginning of the Bible's story. Uh, the Bible picture is perhaps that you get to know people in friendship But that culminates in knowing most deeply in the sexual relationship. The completion of knowledge is that sexual relationship. Now, Steve Jones and Catherine Davis last week, as I understand it, laid an excellent foundation uh, of sort of elevating before us God's ideal, which is either for celibate singleness or faithful marriage. Those are the things that are elevated in the scripture. But in our world, all of us are aware of the challenges. There are people all around us, and this may affect some of us. And as Steve indicated, we're going to try and be as honest as we can. Um, There are people all around us who are caught in abusive or promiscuous sexual relationships or recreational sex. Uh, We probably all understand that. There are people who are caught in addictive sexual practices or in self-gratifying masturbation and other sexual pleasure-seeking that is rooted in lust. It isn't neutral. It arouses in us image and desire that is not relational but selfish which is the damage that it does. Of course, years and years ago, when I was young, I wouldn't have dreamt of going into a newsagent and buying Playboy. Uh, That's just the fact of the matter. And looking at all the images, because shame would keep me away from there or something, or I might be seen by my friends who are walking past the shop or whatever. Of course, at school they did do the the circuit. I mean... Some of you have been there. Don't look so holy. Please don't look so holy. I'm talking about things that you've seen and you've lived and you've felt and touched. Um, I hope less, not too much of the touch. Anyway, no, let me not go there. <laughs> but now with the access to the internet, many, many, many people are absolutely bound in pornography, which you can, you know, Just look at on your own. Even if you don't download it, you can go to all of those sites and you can, you know, gratify your lustful desire by looking at these things. I have to say, I'd always thought this was a very male problem. I was surprised to hear this week that the latest information is that actually one third of people who go to those sites are now women. Uh, so, you know, there's a shift taking place. There is something happening in our society. And, of course, that opens the door to all of us. Where do we position ourselves in the light of that? And particularly when things pop up, 
I was sitting in, in, my, uh, in our front room one day, and, and Lorraine was actually right by my side. And I'm ever so glad she was right by my side as I was opening a, uh, you know, a website up, just an ordinary standard website, and suddenly up pops this graphic image. And I was saying, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this? And, you know, and, 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 and that's the problem, isn't it? Stuff pops up. I mean, you don't even have to go looking for it. It pops up all the time. And, you know, there it is. You know, do you want to chat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, I, you know, I was so glad she was sitting there because the problem is, uh, you know, if she'd walked in and the site had been there, that would have been worse I mean, so I was just very grateful for that. But, but we are in this situation where we're invaded on all sides in our world with all of this stuff. How do we live with this? Or there's the simple challenge of red-blooded young men and women getting physical because they've got hormones and sexual desire being aroused by close proximity and us feeling one another and undressing one another when we're not yet married and where we're going out with one another these things happen what do we do how do we position ourselves? And if you think, well, this is just normal, this sort of exploration, I want to suggest to you, not in God's book, it's not. What are we all to say about this? Well, well, clearly God has a plan. And the plan is what Steve and Catherine elevated last week. But these two passages that we have just read together show us two important principles, and I want to make them very clear as a starting point for what I'm going to say uh, this morning. First of all, and the passage from 1 Corinthians 6 is very clear about that, for the Christian at least, and we're, we're talking to Christians, okay, for the Christian at least there is a different way to live. Now, Corinth was every bit the same as our society. Uh, it had all sorts of sexual practices, all sorts of liberty and license that was going on around them. And these Christians in Corinth were trying to find the way to live. And some said, well, surely we can do anything. We're free in Christ. And others are saying, no, 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 that won't quite do. What does Paul say? He's the apostle. He established this, helped to establish this church. What does he have to say about this? He says, well, you need to think about what's good for you. And you need to think about not being overcome or mastered by things. In other words, not things not being out of control. It's all right being free, but where does that take you? So he basically says, you just need to think about other things, the other side of this situation. He says, actually, if I were you, this is the line I'd take, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Why? Because when it grabs hold of you, you're in its thrall, you're in its power, you're under its control. So flee it. And the word that is used in Greek about sexual immorality is the word porneia. He says flee 
porneia. Well, you can hear where porn comes from, can't you? It comes from porneia. So flee, <laughs> flee pornography, flee premarital sex, because premarital sex was regarded by the, uh, in Bible times as porneia. Flee extramarital sex, because, you know, that's clearly going to someone else. So flee extramarital sex, flee masturbation, because that was the scene as porneia. All of these things were seen as porneia in these times, and Paul says, flee it. Do you wish it were that easy? What Paul says here is our bodies now as Christians are temples of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know? <laughs> Don't you know? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know? He lives right here. And that means two things. First of all, we don't want where the Holy Spirit lives to be polluted. We had a prophetic word from Kate this morning about pollution or contamination. I was grateful for it. I thought we're on the right track here. But the Bible says if you're a temple of the Holy Spirit... You don't want the dirty stuff to pollute it. So to say sex is it. Sexual relationships in the right setting are beautiful. In the wrong setting, pollute the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Second thing is what he basically is saying as well is if you're that's the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is more powerful in you than that stuff out there and can help you overcome everything out there that is militating against your walking clean and pure with God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He he lives in here. This same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that defeated sin and death once and for all. This is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. This isn't, isn't just a very negative thing about not being polluted by the world. It's a very strong thing about being overcomers of the world. Amen? Anybody say amen about that? <laughs> he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world, says elsewhere in the New Testament. Okay. So that's the first thing. We have the power in us to walk clean and clear and to live differently in God's world from Corinth all around us. Hallelujah. Now, I just want to lob something in here. I am aware that in this area, sitting in this congregation, there are people who are feeling guilty and full of shame that you are not living in victory in this area. One way or another, you're struggling with things in your thought life, or you might be struggling with things in your relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, or you might be struggling with things in a relationship with somebody of the same sex. There's all sorts of ways that this stuff invades us, and that this sermon is hard to live with. But I'll tell you where I'm going, that there's a freedom that we can find in Christ to live as God wants us to live in this world and to live differently from Corinth around us. Now, the second thing I want to say, which came from the story we read about Jesus and the woman that was caught in the act, is so far as Jesus is concerned, there is no condemnation. He says to the others, don't you condemn, you've got the same stuff going on in you. And then he stands up and he says, and I don't condemn you either. 
He didn't have the same stuff going on in him, but he didn't condemn either. There's no condemnation. But he does say, go and live differently. Go and live differently. Now, it's quite possible for us to feel guilt and shame about some of the things that we're living. And it is true that if we violate our conscience, it will make us feel guilty. It's the purpose of having a conscience, by the way. It's why God gives it to you. But feeling guilty will not lead you to change. Uh, It will just leave you feeling guilty. (laughs) That's the way that works. We have to find a way of walking clean and clear into the freedom of God from all of that stuff that pollutes us. We have to get rid of the curly-whirly roots that go down. Uh, God wants to cut them off today so that our roots can grow clear uh, in the life of God. Okay, so the big question is this morning, and this is what I've been asked to preach about, how can we find the freedom to live God's way? In the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, how can we find freedom to live God's way? How can we resist and walk away from the wrong sort of sexual relationships and ultimately enjoy the beauty and purity of right sexual relationships within the joy of the marriage relationship? And what I'm about to say now about finding this freedom is based on scripture but it's also based on years of pastoral experience i have been a pastor now for 39 years it's longer than i dare to think and i know it's a lot longer than some of you have even been alive uh and i'm sorry i'm just an old codger there's nothing i can do about it uh you know i've just uh i've just been around a bit um and you know, have constantly been myself aware of my own struggles. <laughs> Let's not get too sort of, it's not about them, it's about us. Right? So I've been aware of my own struggles. And if you think they diminish by the, you know, that you've got full-blooded struggles in your 20, but by the time you're 40 or 50 or diminished, don't be deluded at all. And I am 63. It doesn't go away the thoughts that you can think or the temptations that you can feel. Uh, you know, Not if you've got hormones and you're normal. Okay, I, I'm trying to be honest and open here so that we understand this is us we're talking about and we are going to have to deal with this stuff as we move forward in our lives. Not something you'll grow out of when you're 35. Is it those who are over 35? Adrian's shaking her head. <laughs> Sorry, I had to pick on somebody at that point. So, so over years, I've walked with people and I've walked the walk myself. So that's where my comments are going to come from now. It's some years of past experience. It's, it's fighting the fight myself of faith. Uh, and it's seeing what the scripture has to take. So here we go. The first thing I think we need to get clear of and to understand from the beginning is this, that the Christian life is a struggle. 
Someone might have billed the Christian life to you when you came to Jesus as, you know, you're giving your life to him. You're now getting rid of all the clutter that went before. And from now on, things are going to be wonderful. If you were sold uh, the Christian life on that basis, you were deceived. And I apologize for those who sold. Who will honestly testify their struggles started when they became Christians? Okay. Well, there's a few of us. Right. Uh, but in this respect that we're talking about, the whole sexual area, the spiritual battle is not around you, or it's not things coming at you, it's what's going on inside of you. Inside your head, your imagination, your heart, your emotions, your vision, your eyes, and your sexual urges. There's lots of agendas here. You're all looking so holy. I just wish you weren't looking so, looking so holy. The odd nod would be helpful. I'm talking to human beings who have hormones, desires, hearts, and thoughts that they shouldn't have. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Danny. <laughs> I'm glad to have someone who's with me. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you know, this, this element of struggle is something that we need to understand. We are called to fight and to be fighters and to fight against sin and to battle with the enemy and to battle with ourselves and to overcome. We're called to to a life of overcoming by the power of Christ. Amen? Now, some centuries have been better at this than others. I've been enjoying reading a good book. I found it in Regent College uh, bookshop in Vancouver. And uh, it's called Water from a Deep Well. And it basically is a book all about the sort of spirituality of previous centuries of Christianity. I mean, why did the Desert Fathers, you may know nothing about the Desert Fathers, but there were a sort of charming bunch of people in the third and fourth century who sometimes took themselves out of human society and went and sat up in a tree in the desert. That's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? I mean, and you think to yourself, what, what were they doing there? What was that all about? Why would you go and sit up in a tree? In de- Has anybody here ever been tempted to go and sit up in a tree in the desert away from everybody else? Okay. <laughs> we do have some. Yeah. And, and some of us just don't like people that much. We'd gladly go and sit in a tree, wouldn't we? And sort of all the rest of it. Here we go. The Desert Saints. I'm going to read you just a little paragraph here because it's all about struggle. I like it. A delightfully peculiar group of Christians who flourished in the 4th and 5th century Egypt, Palestine, and Syria challenge us in facing struggle. They believed that struggle is normal necessary, and even healthy in the spiritual life. The fallenness of the world imposes it, for example, physical sickness, mental anguish, death of a loved one. That's what you experience when you hear. So we struggle with that. Discipleship requires it, i.e. self-sacrifice. And believers must choose to face it. 
We therefore cannot escape struggle, nor should we try. Rather, we should embrace it as one aspect of our calling to discipleship, for the goal of life in this world is not ease, prosperity, and success, but intimacy with God, maturity of character, and influence in his world. After all, Jesus himself taught that we must die to ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him who is Lord of all. An unknown desert saint once said that if a person knows an Abba, that means a spiritual father, because they did think they should have personal pastors or spiritual fathers, um, with whom he would make progress in discipleship, though in a way that would make life hard for him, He's an atheist if he doesn't go there. If you don't get discipline from someone else, you're an atheist. What do you think of that? Because we've got struggles, we need people helping them. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Well, there's lots of other stuff there, but it's all about this sense of being here to struggle and being overcomers. Now, the second thing, that's the first thing. The first thing is we must face up to the fact that we're here to struggle and overcome uh, you know, the temptations that come at us. Now, the second thing that we will need is this. Uh, we need to be open and honest about our struggles in this area. For Christians, and especially when you've been walking with Jesus a few years, there's some shame in this. Because we tend to think, well, we should be further on. You know, it's like when you've been married for 30 years and you have a blazing row and you think, oh, Chris, I thought that was the first year of marriage. That sort of thing happens, not after 30 years. We should be better than this. For many of us, it's not only a matter of shame, but there's our own... Well, that was a long trip, Adam. You really made it there, didn't you? He came, he sat down for 30 seconds, and now he's gone again. There you go. For some of us, it's not just about shame, it's about independence and pride. We'd rather struggle on our, our, on our own and not let others know our struggles and soldier on on our own. Have we got any of those people here? Yeah, okay, that's all right, as long as we understand. Now, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says this, you don't need to turn to it, I'll, I'll read it to you, I want to get it right here. Uh, it says this, um, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Whatever stays in the dark, that means keep it hidden, keep it covered up. Don't dream of telling anyone, just soldier on your own. Whatever stays in the dark is Satan's domain. And he will continue to accuse and to keep you bound and to hold you down and to bind you in defeat. And the first step of freedom is bringing the struggle to the light. We bring it out into the light because that's where Jesus lives. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. We hide things in the dark, won't tell anybody. Satan has a field day with us. We bring it to the light. It's the beginning of a walk to freedom. And in this area, we Christians are pretty poor at bringing things to the light. And mature Christians, even poorer, because we think we should be better by now. But if we'll bring things to the light, we can find the healing of God. And let me just say one more thing. Full disclosure of the scale of the problem is quite important. I do want to be a little provocative this morning. I've had... Young people come to me over the years, many, saying, you know, I love this person, we're going out together. We're having some struggles keeping our hands off one another. Will you pray with us? My normal answer is no. Because there's a few things that we need to sort out first. First, would you please tell me what you're talking about? Right, Because that could mean many things. If you're saying our hands are in the wrong place when we're fully clothed, that might be one thing. If you're saying you're feeling under one another's clothes, that's another thing. If you're undressing one another, that's another thing. You might be shocked at this sort of pastoral counsel. But I want to know what we're talking about here. Not because I need to know but because they need freedom to bring it out into the open and say, this is my problem. And I need to find the overcoming power of Christ in this problem. So let's be clear what we're talking about here. It also is the case that if that's your problem, one of your problems is that you're in situations where it's too easy for you to get close and undress one another or whatever it may be. We've tried to say to our own kids, if you have your friends around, you don't take them up to the bedrooms. And if for some reason you end up sitting in the bedroom because you're playing on a games machine or something like that, the door is left wide open. And we need to think of safety measures (laughs) that we put in place that will help us to walk in freedom. Because what we do is we are silly And we think, I'll be all right, shut the door, sit on the bed together, lie back on the bed together. You know what's going to happen next, don't be stupid. Are you determined that you will not do any of those stupid things? Okay, well, perhaps we can pray now. But I'm not going to pray until you've decided not to do stupid things. Okay, you're getting me. 
I hope you couldn't miss this point. <laughs> it's ever so important. So full disclosure, you know, this bringing things to the light is abs- What is your struggle? Somebody says to me, my struggle is pornography on the internet. Okay, I want to know, what are we talking about? An occasional visit? Are we talking about a daily visit? Are we talking about every night? Married men who go on the internet when their wives have gone up to bed to titillate themselves and their own sexuality. That's not sexual relationship. That's sexual selfishness. What are we talking about here? Yeah, well, it probably happens three or four nights a week. You've got a serious problem. Now, now we know what we're talking about. We brought it out to the open. And now we can start working with it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So is this, is this clear enough, this sort of stuff? Fourthly. No, thirdly. I hope you noticed. The first was life's a struggle. Second was bring stuff to the light. Third thing is this. The third thing is, I do hope you understand, as Christians... That your relationship with Jesus is an absolute and utter key to how you live this whole battle. And if you're not walking close to Jesus, it's not going to work. Let me tell you a little story. Several years ago now, uh, we'd finished a meeting here. Lorraine and I get in the car and we start driving down um, the road. And I said to Lorraine, I noticed you were having quite a long conversation with so-and-so. And uh, she said, yeah. She said, she's in trouble and I want to tell you the conversation we had. This is one of our beautiful girls in the church, Christian girl, who we loved. We still love her. Still in communication. She's not actually here, but we're still in communication. She's a great girl. But she'd got into a tangle and she was now sleeping with her non-Christian boyfriend. Well, there's a few challenges there, isn't there? You know, Christian going out with non-Christian, there's first challenge. <laughs> Let me tell you something. They always evangelize us better than we evangelize them. Please don't go on missionary dating exercises. It doesn't work. <laughs> it really doesn't work. Okay? Um, so, anyway... Here she was, she got involved with a non-Christian fellow, and now she's sleeping with him. Rain says, this is, this is what I told her. I said, Rain said to, to this dear girl, look, let's forget the boyfriend, and let's forget the sleeping together. The thing that you need to get sorted out is your relationship with God. Did I say the right thing? Lorraine says to me, and I'm sitting there driving along Botley Road, and I'm thinking, didn't the pastor's wife tell her that she shouldn't be sleeping with this guy, and anyway, she shouldn't be going out with a boyfriend? I mean, didn't she tell her that? And now she's asking me, did I say the right thing? And if I say, no, you missed it by a mile, I'm in trouble. (laughs) And so I paused for thought. How do I express this that I've got to say, like, you goofed? (laughs) 
And the Holy Spirit said to me, she's right. I don't like the Holy Spirit saying that sort of thing. but <laughs> And I try not to let it happen too often. <laughs> but, but the Holy Spirit said, she's right. And I, it, was like, it was like a revelation for me. That we could say, don't do this and don't do that. But if she's not walking with Jesus, if she hasn't got a relationship with him, she's going to have no strength to do anything else. And that's part of our problem. That we try and stop ourselves and, you know, we try and pull ourselves in. Because as good Christians, we know we should pull ourselves in from these things. But we haven't got the relationship with Jesus, living day by day, close to him, in fellowship with him, that gives us the strength and the resources to fight. And this one worked well. (laughs) Because she concentrated on a relationship with Jesus. We didn't have to tell her what to do in the future. She knew what she had to do. Because she was walking with Jesus and her body was a temple of the Holy Spirit. And and when she got right with Jesus, that stuff fell away. So that's clear. Fourth thing I want to say is this. Close accountability with a personal pastor, guide or friend when you're facing sexual challenges is key. And please choose somebody who won't be nicer than God. Some of us choose people to be our guide because we know they'll be nice to us and they won't dare tell us not to do this or not to do that or whatever it may be. Please don't do that. Jesus will say, I don't condemn you, but go and don't do it anymore. That's Jesus. You want somebody like that who's going to walk with you with understanding, but he'll say, That's not the way we live. We're Christians. We live differently. We do things a different way. Fifthly, common sense rules are vital. I've already talked about this. Don't go in the bedroom together if you're not married. Keep the doors open if you're not married. Barney Coombs, who was a father to a number of us leaders in the Salt and Light family, basically said to us, do not take a woman anywhere in your car. This was to leaders. Do not take a woman anywhere in your car on your own. And that's how he handled things. Now, occasionally, you want to. So you ring your wife and you say, I'm just about to go and so somewhere and I am you know, taking this person with me. Is that all right? He practiced that. There are many, many leaders who've got themselves into messes because they've been stupid. And it would be sensible if we avoided that sort of situation. Go out in groups if it's bad for you to be out one-to-one on your own. Okay. Please understand. Men are excited by what they see. Men are lookers, watchers, and prone to temptation by what comes through the eyes. Women, you can help us. Women, and I I know there are some of you who hate these generalizations, and in some ways I do too, but there's a lot going for them. 
Women are opened up by care, compassion, and touch. A man is like a light. Switch the switch on, bang, he's hot. A woman is like an iron. Plug it in, takes time, but when she's hot, that stays. Now please understand what I'm saying here. If we walk into, men, if you're walking into situations where you're going to see what you shouldn't see, you're going to be prone to danger like that. If you get too close, there are certain points at which you can't draw back. Please understand. Is this what you wanted from this talk? (laughs) Sixth point, it is possible that having had bad experiences in the past, and many of us are coming out of broken relationships and bad experiences in the past, where we've given ourselves sexually to one another, we're still damaged because of that, or we're still hurt because of that, and it's hard to trust ourselves to others again, it's hard to give ourselves those fear barriers, or maybe we have been in a history of addictive sexual relationships, promiscuous sexual relationships, and then we come to Christ, we want to live differently. This is difficult stuff to sort out, because there's habits and and what have you that we have to break. It may be that some people need counseling to help them understand what's going on and to find a way out of patterns of broken, addictive, and damaging behavior. It may be that we need deliverance because there are now demonic holds in our life. The enemy has a hold in areas of our imagination, our thought life, or our fleshly desires, because he can get a hold of all of those, and maybe we need deliverance from that stuff. We need prayer to break it. Or it may just be that we need the healing process of God, more time in the presence of God, more time in the presence of God, more time in the presence of God, which will bring us healing. Steve started this meeting this morning with that wonderful word from Malachi about the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And that's what he wants to do for us. This I'm convinced of. If you've experienced brokenness in the past through sexual relationships that have been abusive or have gone wrong or whatever, Jesus can heal you. How do I know? Well, I know because his word says so, but I know because I've watched it happen over 39 years as lots and lots and lots of people in the group of churches that we've been working in majorly pastorally have got healed and healed and healed from stuff. So it may be counseling, it may be prayer and deliverance, it may be just the healing presence of Jesus but there are processes that we can walk through and you need someone who can help you go through it and let me finally say this occasionally married people get into stupid situations with people they shouldn't get into them with If you get into a stupid affair as a married person or start fancying someone else, 
And that's the stage we need to be aware of. When you start fancying someone else, get it out into the light. Get it out into the light. I shouldn't be feeling this way, you think, and so you struggle and you struggle and struggle. Well, you shouldn't, but struggling on your own is silly. Well, the enemy sometimes brings up old relationships. I had a pastor ring me up one day and he said, I don't know what's going on. I've been happily married to my wife for 20 years. This is a pastor, right? He knows about this stuff. He said, I've been ha- but, but it's like, I had a dream the other night of this former girlfriend from beyond, early, beyond our marriage. And wow, I, it started all sorts of things going off in me. And I've been tempted to get in touch with them on you know, Facebook. What's this? Find friends and all this sort of thing. And, and help! And uh, we prayed. We prayed on the phone because he was a distance away. And we prayed hard. We both prayed. He prayed against We prayed against it every week for the following few months that I phoned him. I asked him, are you free? Are you walking in freedom? Are you living in freedom? Because the enemy doesn't play fair. And, yeah. Well... What would I like to leave you with? I'd like to leave you with a sense of reality. This is the struggle we face. Don't be stupid. (laughs) Reality, we need one another to help us face the struggles that we face. Reality, healing is available in Christ. Wherever you have been and wherever you are now, healing is available in Christ. And I'm going to read... Five verses from Romans chapter 8 and finish and hand back to Steve. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. Set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. For what the lawless was, the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit of Christ. Amen? That's our freedom. Please, walk in freedom, live in freedom, enter into freedom. If the stuff you're facing, all sort of stuff go on, get it sorted. Talk to someone, get it out into the light, fight the fight, and receive the healing of Christ. Amen?